Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Well, thank you, worship team, and good morning. Well, so far, so good. You know, sometimes when I'm walking up somewhere to speak, I'm reminded of, uh, of an experience that a, a friend of mine, a, a student intern, a student uh, leader that I worked with at Briarcrest College, about an experience that he had when he was doing his pastoral internship one summer. And Rob went to this large urban church where he knew nobody and nobody knew him. Uh, as part of his internship responsibilities, he had to preach a couple of times in the main Sunday worship service. And Rob told me that on the very first Sunday that he was scheduled to preach, which was also going to be the time when, when most of the people in the church were going to meet him for the very first time, he was sitting down in, in the front rows uh, during the uh, worship time, and as he was introduced, he got up out of his seat and he bounded up the stairs to the stage, taking them two at a time, trying to look enthusiastic. When he got to, and it was a, a little higher stage than this one was, when he got to the top of his, uh, the stairs, much to his dismay, the toe of one of his shoes hooked on the, on the rim of the top stair, and he went sprawling out onto the stage. Not thrown slightly off balance, not, not down on one knee, but a complete face plant on the stage. They say that uh, you only have one opportunity uh, to make a first impression, and this was now his with these hundreds of people that were there that Sunday morning. Now, to make matters worse, as he fell, his Bible that he was carrying flew out of his hand, and inside the Bible, he had all of his sermon notes, and they spilled out all over the stage. He said it seemed like an eternity. It was probably only 15 seconds or so, but it took him a lot. It just seemed like an eternity as he picked up all of his pieces of paper and scrambling around doing that. Then he said he got to the podium, and all of a sudden, the next horrific realization that, he, that came to him was that now his notes were completely out of order and the pages weren't numbered. Rob said it was pretty much the most humiliating start to a pastoral career that he could have imagined. And so since then, sometimes when I arrive up on stage and I'm still upright and I've got my notes and they're still in order, I think, well, so far so good. Um, it's great to be here with you this morning, and I just want to start off by asking you to just say hi to some people beside you. <laughs> that one was, uh, that's especially for Avery this morning. <clears throat> Seriously though, uh, it's, it's great to be back here. It seems like it's been quite a while since I was up here preaching. And that's, is, that's as it should be, because my job, my role here is largely and, and intentionally um, administrative and behind the scenes. And so typically I just get penciled in on occasion to kind of, you know, relieve a pressure point in the schedule or two. Uh, but today is different in that manner. Um, a, a few months ago when we were planning out this particular sermon series, 
and we were breaking it down to what we would talk on each week. When we came to this week, I said, everyone, would you mind if I preached that Sunday? Because I was really intrigued by this message, because I've seen it play out in life in real time. Um, I was and am still excited about the Life Upside Down series that we're in right now. You know, time and time again, the teachings of Scripture just turn the conventional wisdom and the teaching of the present time completely on its head. Often claiming things to be true that are the exact opposite of commonly held beliefs. And I find that intriguing. Many of the people in the audiences, the original audiences that were listening back in the day when, they were first, when these teachings were first spoken also found it, them very intriguing. Scripture says that time and time again that the crowds that were listening to Jesus' teaching and then later to the apostles' teaching were amazed at what they had to say. And part of that amazement, there was a few reasons for that. One of them was simply the fact that Jesus and, and this group of disciples just seemed to appear on the scene out of nowhere. Most of them didn't have any religious training or provenance. They just appeared. And so that was kind of amazing. But also was the fact that their teaching often was completely contradictory to the religious teaching of the day from the religious leaders. And the people were intrigued by that. There was an, an oxymoronic dynamic to their teaching, where as the people listened, it started out sounding like contradictions to what they knew to be truth. But as they continued to listen, and as Jesus and the apostles unpacked their teaching, they saw the deep uh, eternal truth that was inherent in those teachings, and it came together in their minds. Now, before we look at our main passage, which is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, um, I just want us to consider the context of that. Context is always, almost always very informative. And so just before this, at the end of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul has been uh, giving us a, a, just a list of all the things that he has suffered and endured as a witness for Jesus and, and as, a, as an Apostle of, of Christ. And he's going through this list and he's basically saying, as he's, as he's listing this, he's saying, okay, if we want to boast about ourselves, about our own strength, or about our own abilities, about our own uh, ability to, to endure and to overcome hardship, then I'm well equipped to pay, play that game. I can boast with the best of them. Let's just take a, I've kind of summarized Paul's list here, rather than reading the whole passage. But here's the trials and hardships that the Apostle Paul says that he has experienced already to that point in time for the sake of Jesus Christ. He was thrown in prison frequently, whipped with 39 lashes five times. Just do the math on that. That's 195 lashes. And these aren't play lashes. These are delivered by a strong adult male probably who is intent on punishing and... Um, inflicting pain. His back must have looked like a map of a, of a city with all the streets and avenues. Beaten with rods three times, once again, not little willow sticks, great big rods, stoned with rocks, shipwrecked three times, spent 24 hours floating around in the open sea, 
regularly driven out of cities, in in peril from rivers, danger from bandits, attacked on all sides by Jews and Gentiles and false believers, regularly, regularly endured a lack of food, water, and sleep, has been cold and naked. And on top of that, he says, on top of that, daily I face the pressure of concern for all the churches. The churches that he'd gone around and planted and these new believers weighed heavily on Paul's mind as as wolves came in and tried to rip apart these flocks of sheep. He says, you know, if you want to boast, I've got the ammunition, I can boast about myself. Uh, He goes on, he carries on this theme of, if we want to boast, in 2 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 1. Let's read that passage. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to the visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard, heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should boast, choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul goes on to say that in addition to all these hardships that he's overcome and endured, he had this incredible experience where he was taken up whether in the body or out of the body, we don't know, but God knows. But he had these visions, these incredible visions of paradise that God revealed to him, things he said that were not permitted to be uttered, to be told. And so when you put it all together, Paul's saying, I've got all kinds of reasons to boast, to be proud about myself. But as the story goes on, he chooses a different direction. He goes on to talk then about the... his uh, thorn in the flesh. So Paul's thorn in the flesh is uh, something that's been discussed over and over again for, for centuries, mostly as to what the nature of this thorn was. It's not revealed in Scripture exactly what there was and so what it was. And so there's all this debate. Uh, probably the most common held belief or thought is that, and this is largely based on the context, is that Paul, when he's talking about this thorn in the flesh, he's referring to all these hardships that he had to endure and overcome that were up on that list. There's another train of thought, though, that says that this, uh, his thorn in the flesh was probably uh, 
indicating some, some level of sickness or physical weakness that was ongoing. And some of the things that have been floated there include uh, uh, chronic uh, eyesight problems. There's a couple of things in there that talks about where he talks about how large the letters are that he's writing with. Uh, others have floated the idea of, of migraines, malaria, um, epilepsy. There's a, a few different theories out there. Some, some figure that maybe it was a, an attack in the spiritual realm by this messenger of Satan that was mentioned. And others think it was maybe uh, an attack right in the, in the uh, physical human realm by another human being, such as uh, Andrew the, the coppersmith, who is um, spoken of, or I'm sorry, Alexander the coppersmith. We read in, uh, in 2 Timothy 4, chapter 4, that he did a great deal of harm to the Apostle Paul. So, you know, we're, there's no consensus. There's another group of, of Bible scholars that basically says there's just not enough evidence given to us by God for us to come to a definitive um, conclusion as to what this thorn was. And I think that's probably where I land. And, I, and in, in many ways, it really doesn't matter what exactly this thorn in the flesh was. We can conclude from what's written that this was, whatever it was, it was an ongoing trial, a source of, of pain and, and uncomfort, un uncomfortableness in the Apostle Paul's life that he had to deal with. We can also see here that, that the Apostle Paul uh, chose to focus on God's sovereignty rather than fixating on his own troubles. First, uh, he recognized and acknowledged that this, whatever it was, this trial was allowed by God. And secondly, he says, he recognizes and came to the conclusion that it was allowed for a purpose. Paul says, um, I was in, in verse 7, I was given this thorn to keep me from becoming conceited. Paul was aware by now of how insidious pride is in a person's life. And he had a lot to be proud about. And so he concluded that this thorn was allowed by God uh, to keep him from becoming conceited. Then thirdly, uh, after asking God three times to remove the thorn from him, Paul quit. He quit begging and pleading for a release from this. And he rested once again in God's sovereignty. He rested in God's response when he said uh, in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. From that point on, Paul completely rested and even rejoiced in his weaknesses, in God's will for his life that would allow these things. In his uh, promise that his power was made perfect in such circumstances. The Apostle Paul didn't just grudgingly submit to this. Um, he went in wholeheartedly. He was all in on this to the point where it came to this, this, this um, conclusion, this, this celebratory conclusion where Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. 
And there's the heart of today's message. When we are weak, then we are strong. Why would that be? Is there something magical about weakness that transforms it into strength? Uh, No. Basically, that is true because when we come to the point where we quit trying to do things in our own power, in our own strength, with our own resources, we then leave room for God to inject his incredible almighty power into those situations. The Apostle Paul was certainly no shriveling weakling. But he came to the point in his life where he recognized, recognized that as he encountered situations that were out of his control, where he couldn't manipulate, where he couldn't, uh, in his own strength and with his own resources, overcome them, it was in those situations that God's power came into his life. And, and, and blew away those situations, accomplishing far more than he could ever hope to accomplish in and of himself. The Apostle Paul realized and understood that his weakest self, plus God, was vastly superior to his strongest self, minus God. Hebrews 12 um, has, Hebrews 12 is sometimes called the the, uh, Hall of Faith. And it lists all kinds of accomplishments by individuals that we read about in Scripture who accomplished great things for God. Things that God, from his perspective, said were significant. Uh, There's three verses in there that read, in 32 to 34. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. These are heroes of the faith. These are the stories that we read about in Scripture. But if we look back at those stories and we look at them with this eye, we see that it wasn't about their strength and about their power, their ability to accomplish these incredible things. It was about them acknowledging their weakness and God coming along and injecting his power and his resources into those situations. And in those situations, by doing that, his power was made perfect in weakness. And we're no different. When we acknowledge our weaknesses, when we come to the end of our own strivings and we say, and we turn the reins over to God, let him take control, then we are actually at our strongest. God's power comes along and is made perfect in weakness. Now, there's an inherent warning uh, in this teaching as well. And that would be that when we are strong, then we are weak. 
when we're feeling the strongest ourselves, doing things in our own power, out of our own independence, when we're using our own resources, when we're managing the situation, we're actually at our weakness. Because our most powerful self, minus God, can't hold a, a candle to our weakest self with God. I grew up uh, with uh, an older sister and a younger brother. And my younger brother was five years younger than me. And uh, Don was just about like all little brothers. He lived for the day when he could beat his big brother at something. Really anything would do. He just wanted to come out on top. But a five-year gap at a very early age is a very difficult thing to overcome. My brother Don liked to wrestle. And in our basement, we had an old queen-size mattress that would get thrown down on the floor, and Don would always want to wrestle. And so we would. And uh, we'd throw the mattress down, and we'd go at it, or probably more accurately, he would go at it, and I would either just brush him away, or depending on my mood of the day, I'd pin him quickly and, and end it quickly. And Don would get very frustrated with that. But uh, he wasn't a quitter, and he was very competitive, and no matter how humiliating the previous defeat was, immediately Don wanted to wrestle just one more time. And so we would. Um, <laughs> he tried and tried and tried, but as I said, a five-year gap when you're young is almost insurmountable. Uh, when I was 17 and graduating from high school, um, but I, I still had remained uh, undefeated at that point in time in the wrestling realm. But uh, when I was 17 and my brother was 12, my parents um, decided to move away from Vancouver where we lived at the time. My dad accepted a call to go uh, uh, pastor the McLaurin Baptist Church up in Grand Prairie. Some of you might have heard of that. And uh, I, myself, had never heard of Grand Prairie, and I wasn't, had no intentions of leaving Vancouver, so I stayed behind. And so from that point on, with my little brother some 1,200 kilometers away, I only saw him for the next few years just very, very sporadically. Anytime I did see him, though, he'd want to wrestle. <laughs> but as you can imagine, uh, a 13-year-old wrestling an 18-year-old, especially an 18-year-old who was six foot seven. Um, my undefeated reign continued. There were a few years there where I didn't see much of my brother or my family, and, but I'd heard that my brother had dropped out of school in grade 10 and that he'd gotten himself a full-time job. A couple more years went by, and one December I was flying home for Christmas, and I flew into the airport and got picked up by my dad, and he took us back out, out to the house, and I was shocked when I saw my little brother. My little brother now stood over 6'5". Uh, his neck basically went straight into his head. <laughs> and, then, and then on the other end, it went down into this just deep, big uh, barrel chest. Um, I found out that my brother's uh, job that he'd gotten was at the Canfor plywood plant. And he worked in the sorting area where day after day, week after week, month after month, he threw sheets of plywood around. And you could tell it had made him 
working strong. Uh, he immediately, I'd no sooner gotten my, my suitcase down into the basement, into the guest room, and my little brother predictably wanted to wrestle. Uh, my little brother had grown up, but uh, many years of being the undefeated champion made me cocky, and so I accepted the challenge. Um, we, we were in my parents' basement in kind of a, a den family room. Uh, he put his arms on my shoulders, I put my arms on his shoulders, and we began. And almost instantly, an amazing thing happened. An experience that I've never had before or since. And I was airborne. <laughs> and I, I remember I hit a wall. And then I dropped down, unfortunately, right on a, a set of brass fireplace tools. Um, my mom heard the noise and she yelled down, what are you boys doing? And my brother, I remember just casually saying, oh, we're just wrestling, mom. Had I not been so dazed, I would have given a slightly different response. I probably would have gone with something like, Mom, Don's just tried to kill me here. <laughs> when Don was in his 20s, um, in his early adult life, Don really never accomplished much for God. He would go to church fairly regularly, even made a couple of attempts at serving, but inevitably uh, his, his sharp opinions and his blunt manner would end up derailing most, if not all, of his effectiveness in service. Basically, from God's perspective, I think it's safe to say that when Don was strong, he was weak. When Don was in his 20s, uh, he had an accident at work in which he injured his back turned out to be a very significant injury. And I remember almost a two-year period where his insurance company had him jumping through all these hoops, including they flew him down to Seattle, Washington, so that he could be run through an oversized MRI machine that they used for the linemen of the Seattle Seahawks. Because his shoulders just wouldn't fit through um, the regular tubes. But anyhow, at the end of this long process, uh, the insurance company uh, grudgingly declared that he was eligible to go on long-term dis disability. In fact, the doctors had concluded that if they tried to uh, correct this problem through an operation, there was a 50-50 chance of paralysis. So Don went on long-term disability in his, in his mid, mid to late 20s. And that began three decades of physical decline for Don. Um, they, for years, he was on these incredibly powerful uh, painkillers that started wreaking havoc with his body over time. Uh, his, some of his organs started to develop issues. Um, he contracted diabetes, and uh, some of the complications that arose from that is they had to amputate part of one foot. Uh, the retinas in both of his eyes continue to detach, and they'd go and retach them, and they'd detach again, till finally they basically just said, we can't do this any longer. And uh, he was uh, declared legally blind at that point. Um, the, the decline was hard to watch. Partly because, hey, he's my little brother. 
but also because of the heights of strength from which he was falling. Near the end of his life, this same guy who had the power to grab me by the shoulders and, and toss me like a rag doll was not even a shadow, not even a whisper of his former self. The last occasion that I had to spend a significant time with my brother, um, he was, his wife was going to be out of town for a few days, and because of the, uh, the blindness issue and his mobility issues, his need to get into the hospital for dialysis, which now his kidneys had shut down on him and failed him as well. Uh, he couldn't be left alone, so I made the trip down there and I spent a few days with Don while she was away. Um, I was able to spend some really quality time with Don, and I, look, looking back, that was a gift from God. Didn't feel like it at the time, didn't really want to take time off and go down there, but I, uh, later I was certainly glad that I did. Um, I noticed uh, during that time that while Don was definitely declining physically, he was actually really growing spiritually. Uh, the last full day that I spent with Don um, was a real eye-opener for me. And I just thank the Lord for giving me that, uh, that day, that insight. Um, it started off in the morning. The phone, they, they still had a landline, and the phone rang, and I answered it. And there was this guy on the end of the phone, and he thought I was Don. And he was, oh, you know, hi, Don, how are you doing? Let's go for coffee. And explained to him, you know, that it wasn't Don. And so later, after I'd hung up, I, I asked Don. I said, who is this guy? You know, who was that? that, that uh, call? I didn't recognize the voice or anything. And Don said, well, that's a guy who, him and his wife, bake, bake bread, and every week they bring it to the farmer's market and sell, sell bread. And he said, uh, every week, Tammy and I, Tammy was his wife, uh, we would uh, go down to the farmer market and we would buy bread from this couple and we would stop and visit and talk with them. And he said, over time, a friendship's kind of developed and now sometimes we go for coffee. And so I said to my brother, I said, uh, wow, you know, that sounds great. Getting fresh bread every week, I said, that sounds delicious. And Don just laughed and he goes, you know, not as much as you might think. Their bread's not really very good. <laughs> but then he said, but it's really not about the bread. It's about them needing to know Jesus. Later that day, uh, we've just finished eating supper. We were still sitting at the table and the phone rang again. And this time, it was an old friend of his who was going through an, a really, really difficult time uh, relationally and emotionally, to the point that as we were talking to him, he was expressing uh, thoughts of ending it, of committing suicide. Don had the phone on speaker, and so I sat there for two hours, and I listened to my brother uh, gently encourage and give advice and lend support to this troubled man, pointing him back to the love of God and to God's uh, plan for his life. And I was amazed. My brother wasn't the most educated guy uh, when it came to, well, really, in either realm, just general education as well as religious education or spiritual education. But the insights and the wisdom that he shared and the gentleness and the compassion that he shared it with uh, really hit me. Later that night, uh, we'd just gone to bed. I was in the basement 
and the room I was sleeping in was directly under Don's room, and the phone rang once again. And because I was just, you know, just that close, I could hear much of that conversation as well. It was the wife of another friend of his uh, who was going through a really difficult time at work. And she was really um, kind of traumatized about it, uh, at her wits end, all stressed out. She felt she was being unfairly uh, singled out and persecuted on the job. And she was really struggling with whether she should continue or whether she should quit. And uh, she was phoning up my brother at uh, 11 o'clock at night looking for advice, which in and of itself was very surprising to me. But then I could hear, my brother had a, had, a, had a loud voice, and I could very clearly hear everything he was saying. And for almost two hours again, he gave this woman all kinds of, of advice. He, he talked so gently and supportively. He, had her, uh, he was encouraging her to lean back on God and let God fight the battle for her. And I went to sleep that night or, or went to sleep thinking, you know, that even though Don was much, much weaker, he was actually much, much stronger in the areas that really counted. Because God's power is made perfect in weakness. Folks, let's not wait till some sort of a trial or a big crisis hits us that pushes us back into dependency on God. Let's invite God in. Let's, let's recognize our lack of ability to do it all in our own strength, in our own power, in our, with our own resources. Let's invite God in. Let's give him the reins. Let him take control and let his power, his might, his resources come into play in our circumstances. God isn't going to be surprised. He intimately knows our weaknesses, but his power is perfected in weakness. You know, coming to grips with that, understanding that and accepting that removes a lot of the pressure on us to do it all ourselves. It's all up to me to accomplish this. It also removes a lot of our excuses about why we might not step in to serving God. I'm not good enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not experienced enough. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not outgoing enough, and the list goes on. We have all these reasons why we feel that we can't serve God. And all the while, God's saying there, I don't care. I know about your weaknesses, and they don't matter because I'm going to inject my power into your service. And your weakest self plus me far surpasses your strongest self on your own. On a bitterly cold day, um, five years ago, just before Christmas, we buried my younger brother, Don. Um, his heart finally joined the list of things that failed him in his body. And that one was just too much. He didn't overcome that one. And my once powerful brother uh, died in complete weakness. But even in that state, um, the promise that we're talking about here this morning, the promise of God, um, remained true and faithful. God's power was perfected even in the ultimate weakness of death. 
And Don, because he had placed his faith in what Jesus had accomplished for him on the cross, was ushered by God into a spiritual body that Scripture says will never, ever fail him, and brought into an existence where he's living in the presence of his Heavenly Father for eternity. God's power is made perfect in weakness. His grace is sufficient. Let's close in prayer. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, created in your image. And we thank you for that. We also know, Lord, that we live in a fallen world and that, we, that has brought imperfections into our lives, into our bodies, into our world. We know, Lord, that in and of ourselves we can do nothing. We know, Father, that our, our greatest strengths, our greatest independence, the things that we pride ourselves on, um, are next to meaningless in your sight for accomplishing that that is truly important. Father, thank you that you just didn't leave us like that, but you have come alongside and you have promised to uh, just inject those situations with your power, that you would bring your power, your strength, your resources to bear in our situations when we invite you in and give you the wheel. Father, uh, help us be faithful in that, Help us not wait till the crisis hits. Help us recognize that even when we feel strong, we're actually at our weakest. Father, we want to partner with you. We want you to, uh, we want to see, as the Apostle Paul says, we want to see the power of Christ evidenced in our lives. Father, guide us into that. Uh, We thank you for your truths. And uh, Lord, just uh, commit the rest of this day unto you now in Jesus' name. Amen. 